0: Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Seb Stafford-Blore in the studio. Hi Seb.
1: Hi Joe. How I'm, are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Things have changed. There's a skeleton, uh, well, there's a robot, there's mm. grass. You're on the
0: Queen's Green Grass, of course. The Green Grass of England. I sure am. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Also on the Queen's Green Grass, at her pleasure, is uh, Scotsman JJ Bull. Hi there. Hello. How are you? Fine. It's a funny mood in the studio today. <laughs> Joe's being weird. Oh, well, what can you do? These things sometimes happen. Now, today we've got loads to get through, including, of course, the, the NLD. Everyone's favourite NLD. Uh, also, Manchester United lost to Aston Villa. That was quite funny. Uh, Brentford-Liverpool, perhaps the best game of the weekend. We'll discuss that uh, a little later. And of course, Man City beat Chelsea too, as well as other football games, which did happen. And I believe that there might be a little word later from my uh, two co-hosts here about the, the new big football video games that are being released later this week. So hold on to your hats for that one. But if you want to hold on to your hat on a daily basis, then you should get The Athletic. Because every time I read The Athletic, my hat literally comes off based on my surprise and amazement at the quality of the writing available visit theathletic.com forward slash tifo if you're a fan of any premier league team or indeed five teams from the championship or if you like a liga serie a la liga the other one bundesliga yeah there's everyone covering everything all the time and uh, tell you what for something with such high volume the quality extraordinarily high isn't it seb sure is i've been enjoying joe durso's work especially lately. Mm. really really good stuff the Meister. Yeah, JJ? Exactly that. Oh man. He's the best. Anyway, uh, in fact read Joey if you want to learn anything about crypto or any of these any of these new coin you know? That's theathletic.com forward slash TFO. It's a 30 day free trial, I think. Anyway. Uh, that's all for the introduction, and uh, now we will get to uh, to uh, the warm hands and the cool embrace of J.J. Uh, Bull and a travelling abroad Seb Stafford Blore. Ah, where else to begin? But of course, uh, the NLD, everyone's favourite NLD, the North London derby between Arsenal and Spurs. It took place at the Emirates. And uh, it was an embarrassing affair,
1: pretty much, Seb, I would have to say. Sure was. I was full of dread anyway, because the mm. last time I got on a plane mid-way, midway through a game, it was Tottenham-West Ham last year, you remember? And they were 3-0 up. I don't remember. but We were all, having, <laughs> a, remember, well, yeah, we were all having a nice time on WhatsApp and joking about it. Got on the plane, took my flight arrived, refreshed my live score, and 3-0 became 3-3. Wasn't so bad this time because I knew it was going to go badly. Sure, Um, sure, 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 sure. sure. But I uh, got off the plane and had a very poor experience at customs whilst kind of digesting the Twitter feed and reacting to what people were saying about it. And yeah, I've since watched the game and embarrassing, humiliating, completely unacceptable, inept, uh, shit show, uh, It's just, it's, I'm not sure what's worse, that it's also predictable in its tone, or that it's, ah, I don't know, someone interrupt me before I swear and and Don has to do too much editing.
0: Let let me interrupt you here. Let me ask you something, JJ. Because uh, I, I, I watched the game, I, I, I suppose as Seb says, I wasn't hugely surprised. I was quite surprised by how well Arsenal played, and we'll come on to talk about them shortly. But um, after after the game, I was reading a, a tweet by uh, by Jack, one of the, uh, the Spurs writers. And he said, um, you know, everyone thought uh, when Nuno arrived, everyone knew he wasn't going to bring attacking football with him. Uh, but the sort of upside, uh, you know, the balance there was that he would bring uh, solidity, that he'd make them hard to break down, hard to play against, that they'd make them, you know, be difficult to concede goals. They've conceded three goals in the last three games now. You're not getting any of what you thought maybe the upside of Nuno would be. How do you explain that? I think
2: he's a very medium manager and he will achieve exactly medium. I mean, he've left Wolves in a state where they were t- kind of fine. Yeah, uh, Nothing really spectacular is going on. He hasn't won anything in his career so far, I think he won the championship with Wolves, but that was a team that was good enough to finish basically seventh the next year uh, with amazing players that he brought in. He is meant to be quite similar to Jose Mourinho in his approach. He played under him at Porto as a goalkeeper, mostly on the bench, but um, I think he even scored a goal. Yeah, he did. Yeah, That's yeah, a good yeah, little yeah. fact about uh, Espirito Santo. Mm. Uh, yeah, they don't they don't do anything. They don't do anything. There's no. Like the the plans, the absence of thing, yeah, it's just very nothing. And it, you can say what you want about like, he was maybe not their first choice. He didn't seem to really want Spurs to be his first choice when he went there in the first place, dilly dallied around taking the job when he was offered it. Went in there three days before pre season started. He would still have had time to put together a plan and make sure that they've got the training schedules ready to be able to play how he wants to. He's meant to be very into sports science. Where Mourinho wasn't, he is. And so rather than relying on asking a player whether he feels all right, he looks at data to work it out. So, he, in theory, make them a lot fitter, run harder. Yeah. But the team, I mean, that's the other problem. Like He's not really brought in any players, has he? And that's the thing. It's just the same Spurs team that was kind of medium
1: before. Brian Hill? I think, well, I think one of the frustrations on Sunday was that all the players Tottenham brought in over the summer on the bench. And some of them, would have started and made, had they started, would have made the team better. Romero is a better defender than, for my money, Eric Dyer. Eric, why is Eric Derek Dyer still Sanchez. playing? I don't understand. Well, I think anyways, Dyer, Dyer had a good start to the season, Um, but that shouldn't obscure the fact that is quite a limited centre-half. Um Hill, when you've seen him, I, this might be a fitness thing, because you know has said it over the past few weeks, we've got different players who are at different stages of conditioning, so we're having to manage that, fair enough. But every time Hill is played he's brought a level of creativity which this side desperately desperately lacks and I think I don't know I mean try this on for size to me when you watch this team it's full of players who don't want to play in this way it might it's obviously not going to be that simple but there's a resentment to the style I always think back to that moment in the, the Amazon documentary when Deli Ali came in a half time from some game that they were losing and he was complaining about oh we're just booting the ball and defending it and to me, a lot of these players are still holdovers from the Pochettino era um, who did not thrive under Jose Mourinho and who have the same sort of weariness towards the, the kind of the imposed style now that they did before. And it's very, it's very difficult to accept. It feels like on the one hand, you could make an argument for Nuno by saying, well, he's inherited a group of players who don't suit him. But then the counter to that is to say, well, you gave him a two year contract. So obviously you're not going to in the space of 24 months, you're not going to reconstruct a squad um, with hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds to suit this guy. So what's the aim here? Well, and it I seems think,
2: a lot like they brought Nuno in to try and not stabilize things, but I, didn't, no, I think they didn't so so have a manager. Right.
1: Like, well, yeah, but it, you, it, I think they, they got to a stage where the managerial search became increasingly embarrassing, rightly so, because it was so poorly handled. Uh and then they arrived at a situation where we need someone to do this. We need someone to, to, to sit in this office. Unless Daniel Levy is literally going to. Yeah, because go otherwise, and coach the otherwise, where are we going to go? And so it became a right, just get this guy. He's free. He's not attached. He'd left Wolves, there's no expense involved. Um, there's an element of saying he's being overpromoted because he probably hasn't quite. He's done. He did good things at Wolves. Probably hadn't earned the right to go to that level of the game.
0: Do you think they thought there was some consistency with what came before from Mourinho too, because of a similar style of football, similar approach?
1: Possibly, but then after Mourinho was sacked, Daniel Levy released a statement saying we are going to return to traditional club values. He actually mentioned attacking football, um, and he sort of. I don't know, that's kind of been forgotten. It's very, very strange, and it doesn't... There's no part of this process which can survive any sort of scrutiny.
0: Well, let me ask ask you this then, because... And for fear of people calling us dramatic, I'm sure this will happen. Only six games into the season, of course. um, Three wins and three losses so far. uh, It feels that there are very few things to point towards for being positive in Nuno's favour. And given that we know that he was the, you know quite far down the list in terms of the the head coaches that were, were touted for the, the Spurs role. How soon is too soon to just cut your losses? Because it feels a bit like, I mean, put it this way, the players know that he was far from the first choice. The players know that Daniel Levy said they wanted to play more attacking football. Uh, the more I learn about uh, football, the more I learn about how things actually work, the more I imagine that that Daniel Levy saying that probably came from some conversation with the players wanting to do that too, right? Or at least making, uh, making themselves so. uh, known. Yeah. Um, how soon is too soon to just cut,
1: cut no the sort losses? Nice I think it's too soon because... You, would you do it now? Yes, I think so because I, I think there's a virtue in recognising that mistake has been made. I understand that that's not what will happen because if you sack a manager now, it looks like the club's fault.
0: If yeah. you sack
1: a manager in six months' time when the club is... 14th out of all the cups and struggling in Europe then that's about him. Um if you dismiss him if you dismiss him now if you dismiss him on the back of a of a North London derby defeat bad as it was you look very reactionary but I I'm not saying that that's what should happen. I just think that's what I would be inclined to do because I don't I don't have any as a fan and this is not me looking at it in sort of any analytical way or you know with with any data or whatever but I'm not interested in what happens next. I don't, it's not that I care care very, very deeply about what happens to the club, but I'm not interested in where this is going because the thing about patience, and this always gets banded about, when a manager is struggling, people say, oh, I just give them time, give them time. It's the kind of default response. Whereas in reality, no, patience is earned because you can accept flaws. You can look at a team and think, well, they've lost that game, but they did this, this, and this quite well. And, um, you know, in six months, maybe this little dynamic that's being constructed, maybe that will work a little bit better. This, there's nothing here that interests me. Um, and I think Nino you know, Espirito Santo is a fine coach for a certain type of club at a certain level uh, I don't think this is right for him I don't think it's right for Spurs and there's got to be a merit in recognising that now rather than saying well, let's give it another six months and see what happens then because I feel like he looked embarrassed on the sidelines but I think he should be Joe like I don't <laughs> think that's I, I don't want <laughs> to be one of those I don't want to be one of those I don't want to be one of those pride and passion guys oh you can't um, help that but as a fan that's nowhere near acceptable in a derby. It's nowhere, it, It's actually, I was saying to JJ, who came in, I haven't seen you guys for quite a while. One of the conversations JJ and Hyatt had was, when I watched, I've only watched, I, I suppose about 65 minutes of it now. But it's not that you see Tottenham making mistakes, although there are mistakes in the play. It's not that uh, there are, you know, there's missed tackles and there's misinterception. It's just everywhere, in all the three goals that Tottenham concede against Arsenal, it's bafflingly bad. It's. It's almost, it's not... You know, oh, I could see what was what. what, what the strategy was there. It was just, well, there doesn't seem to be a strategy. It's a let's uh, collapse back and throw in half. Let's not contest 50 50 balls. Uh, let's uh, run less than the opposition and let's see where that gets us. And the answer to that is 3 0 down at half time against a team. I don't want to sound sour. I know this, this is how it will come across, but Arsenal, are, Arsenal played well. Yeah, they,
3: they played did well. play well. Yeah. But
1: I'm also, and it hurts me to say this, <clears> they only play well against Tottenham. And Tottenham are not a measuring stick anymore, really. This this Tottenham is just a it's a nothing, um, and it made that Arsenal team look like the invincibles in the first half at least. Like, strangely enough, like in the second half, um Tottenham probably could have scored three goals, which is sure. a very weird yeah. thing to say. But I think that was partly that's game state really, rather than kind of yes. anything that Tottenham did particularly well. Yes. Um, and I I yeah I, I feel humiliated by it and. You can't forgive that easily. Like I, I would say that if Nino you know, Espirito Santo is in a situation where he doesn't have to uh, restore Spurs to what Pochettino um, created immediately, but immediately he does have to show that there is a point to this, whatever yeah. that may be. Just a doesn't have to be a you know a comprehensive five no win. It just has to be something which people can go, okay, okay, I'm I'm willing to persevere with that. That's piqued my interest. But there's none of that at the moment. Brent over.
0: Uh, JJ, uh, another thing about Spurs, which looks bad this year is, um, and again, this might sound a little sensational after six games, but spending the entire summer refusing uh, to sell Harry Kane to Manchester City for many, many millions of pounds doesn't look like the best idea now, does it?
2: No, and you should learn that from um, playing football manager when your players don't play as well as they're supposed to when they want to leave. I don't think that's why he's playing badly. I think he's just having a bit of a bad time because they're not creating anything really. Sure. Right. Yeah.
1: No? I think it's 50-50 like, I, I agree with you, Like the system isn't designed to suit him, I think some of his performances have been wholly unacceptable let, 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 I, let's, yeah. ma-
0: let's make it clear though right? That, and not for the sake of de- I'm not trying to defend Harry Kane specifically but I think uh, it would be good to make the point that you you don't mean intentionally you just oh, mean no, no, no. like I a natural think- thing happens when you're disappointed uh, you know it happens to me all the time I'm disappointed, and then I don't perform to my maximum because I, I can't because there's something wrong with my head. Yeah, you know? well,
1: we've, we've all been there, but uh, I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's a this is a legacy of a truncated preseason. Mm. Uh, he did not um, arrive back on time. We're still unsure about why or you know, what the dynamics of that situation exactly were, but um, he looks like a player who isn't fit, who isn't conditioned properly. Um, I, I sort of thought that for the last two years though. he he's, he he does have that but in the past when, when he's being for instance when he's recovered from a long-term injury which he's had to do quite a few times now you have that spell of games usually last maybe two or three months where he's absolutely rubbish and his touch looks awful but he still scores goals yeah and he still provides a kind of a baseline contribution now um and i there is a there is a coaching problem there too because the system doesn't suit him clearly uh but uh his his touch is wrong if you look at the um I think it was the, the Saka goal. I think I'm right in saying when when he mm-hmm. miscontrolled the ball on the edge of the Arsenal box, fell over, ran back, clunked back, tried to make the tackle. And got, just the worst the thing is,
0: I think he got in the way of the defenders. Yes, he did. Yeah,
1: yeah, he did. He, he kind of... Um, extra bad.
2: He's trying to do everything at once because he thinks he's the best player. But you know, I, and he's making himself worse by doing it.
1: I feel that's a symptom of something else as well. When you do that, it's about... It's not really about you. It's about the how you look at what's around you mm. and how much trust you have. There's no way Kane does that when Pochettino is manager because you trust the system, you trust Dembele back there, Wanyama back there, Vertonghen, Aldevar. You don't go charging eighty yards as you're because at the very least, you don't, you, it's not a, a thoughtful passage of play because you are removing your own side's outball. Even that kind of even the big lump upfield into one of the into one of the channels, you you are you are inviting a further phase of pressure in thirty seconds time. Okay. So he,
2: he wants to be a top tier player. He wants to be playing at. Uh, Juventus or Bayern Munich yeah. or Manchester City or someone who competes for things, and he's in a team that has underperformed, or actually he's probably peaked ages ago and was never good enough to really get to where he wants to be in the first place. They just overperformed constantly, Spurs, and now they've kind of regressed to where they roughly were. And often the reason they were overperforming is because Kane was scoring way over his XG. Yeah, uh, and so that was a thing. And now you I think, think he I wants mean, to get out, but the
1: overperforming thing is really interesting though, JJ, because like I. I look at two halves of the Pochettino era. Like the first half, I don't think they did overperform. I think they were um, probably the second or third best team in the country for a period of maybe two years, two and a half years. I think they then, during the what we'll call the uh, Sissoko as the entire midfield era, <coughs> that was a, a strange time where funny things happened. Like obviously, the peak of that is Amsterdam and that comeback and the Champions League final, all those kind of things. But somehow they got to where they needed to be, and a lot of that to, was to do with sometimes his goals. But he was also missing for long periods of that time. Like he was injured consistently. He was out of form, um, and I mean, in many ways, actually, uh, probably Song Heung-min allowed them to compete above where they deserve to be. For that offense, is true. Well, sure. He and
2: Kane were both. They're both. Top tier players, they could yeah. play in. They could play for Real Madrid, probably. Yeah, like both yeah, yeah. Players, right? yeah, yeah. And Son, so, especially,
1: I would say, like Son, 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 Son deserves better. Sure, um, and
2: this is the thing with Spurs for me. So I disagree that they, um, that I think they did outperform And you look at things like I remember going through expected goals and all that sort of bits before, and other articles I've written in the past. And I always thought Spurs weren't actually that good. I never really thought. I, th- I, th- I, think Pochettino is clearly a, a high quality coach. but I don't think he's this mastermind that he got labelled as. And I think Spurs, had they not had the fortune of having um, Human and Hurricane exactly the right time when they are really, really at their best, they would be nowhere near that. I oh, mean, it's no kind doubt. of a stupid thing to say, like, if you've got the best players obviously you can do better. But without those two, they just weren't that good. And that squad needs to be broke, broken up ages ago. Eric Dier, um I'm sure, is a great person to have around the squad, and is a very useful squad player, but um, he is not the player he was when he was younger, he's not there. Um, that cannot be the level that you want for a team that's trying to push for top four. Uh, they should have let people like Alderweireld and Vertonghen go where they wanted to. should have let Eriksson go when they wanted to. It's all, I understand the business side of it from Levy's point of view. They want to be looking like a selling club because it devalues you and kind of makes you not have the value of the club that you should have and the kind of thing if you want to be where Harry Kane is. Kane wants him to be top four and to be the guy who can make that happen like Shearer did at Newcastle back in the day. And then he signed that contract, which is way too long. It was a silly decision based on how good it was going at the time. And now they're just kind of where they... I mean, Spurs are where they should be. They're an upper mid-table team. They're not good enough to be top four. And that's kind of what they've been for ages. But just they they had Kane and Son absolutely smashing in goals for ages. And that's why they were so good.
0: Well, speaking of upper mid-table teams, let's discuss Arsenal. Uh, And I've written here, Arsenal... Seb, Arsenal were fast and accurate and strong. Hmm. They were also smart in their game management. This is what I liked about Arsenal's uh, game. They pressed extremely high off the bat. Uh, they clearly came out as the sort of faster and better team. They scored that uh, fantastic early goal, but then they changed things up and their second two goals, mo- uh, both of them mostly came from counter attacks. And I thought that the way that they managed the game throughout the phases, even uh, in the last 20 minutes when Spurs obviously got, their, got one goal back... Um, And Arsenal was sat off. They didn't panic. Uh, They kept it sort of shut down. They did exactly what they needed to do to win the game. It was maybe the most mature Arsenal performance I've seen uh, under Arteta. And, uh, you know, that is sort of um, uh, highlighted by the fact that they play a lot of young players in that
1: team. Yeah, the the counter-attacking thing was interesting because those sweeping moves recall like a different era of Arsenal football. There was so much pace and so much accuracy. Like you can talk about, oh yeah, well, you know, Tottenham weren't doing this, this or this. Fine, sure. But um, you also need to play um, that precisely to counterattack so effectively. And actually, Arsenal were more logical um, in this game than I've seen them for ages. Like I, I thought that they were aimed at, clearly they identified uh, Dar and Sanchez as uh, a combination that could be pressed and were pressed very, very effectively. Spurs looked vulnerable every time they took the ball out of defence. Um, to me, actually, um, it's one of... Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's best performances for Arsenal. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's Arsenal fans who know better, but um, I can't remember thinking, uh, well, certainly not for a long time, seeing him being quite so involved and um, comparing to Harry Kane's performance, for instance. And usually, like, typically over the last few years in, in this game, it's been the other way around. Like, Kane has been the one which Aubameyang has been measured against and pilloried as a result of you know, the, the kind of disparity in contribution. Um, but yeah, no, really, really impressed. I, I was also, I thought the defence was good. I thought Ben White played very well. I thought Tommy Asse was great um, at fullback. He had a little bit of a bad moment um, in the second half when you remember when um, Kane the, the ball got dropped over the top for Harry Kane and he just pushed the the ball wide. That like, but you know, other than that, he's he's had a really really good start to his um to his Arsenal career. And it's strange because he's not the he's not the profile of fullback that you associate with Arsenal. Like he's about. He's very, very different from a kind of a Hector Bellerin, for instance, or a, a Lauren, or a, you know the, the, those kind of players. But he's um, he's been impressed. and I, I think Aaron Ramsdale's done very well, which is which is which is which says something about him because think about the conversation that surrounded Aaron Ramsdale for most of the summer. Like he was laughed at. Like he didn't have the best season at Sheffield United last year. And Arsenal's protracted pursuit of him became a kind of a stick with which I'm, I would have to go back, but I'm pretty sure we laughed at it because it didn't make a lot of sense this time. So this guy's, well, it's because the
0: figures were, were all quoted at 30 million pounds. I don't know if that's what they paid in the end, but yeah, that but was the that was the figure for a while.
1: If you put it put yourself in his situation, Joe. Like you come into a club and you are uh, you have this big fear around your neck. Um, you are charged with replacing Bern Leno, who. Whatever you may say about him, has played international football for Germany. Must be a pretty good player. Sure, sure. Was a very, you know, quite high-profile, expensive signing in his own time. Come in, and he's played really well. He made some excellent saves. Um, That save from uh, Lucas Moura towards the end of uh, yesterday's game was just um, was fantastic. And and so like that's a good news story. And it feels like all of a sudden, all these things that were typically bad about Arsenal—central defence, goalkeeper, fullback um a Bamiyang's contribution at to the top of the pitch, all of a sudden that they, they started to become slightly more positive. I'm not I'm still a bit on the fence about Arsenal. Like I just beating Spurs, um that's nah, just not a big deal. Spurs were garbage. I don't Spurs even think they are Arsenal really good, yeah. honestly
2: I thought I think they just did the things. Oh that, no they were pretty good. They, yeah but they're good because they could be like this is the stuff Arteta's trying to be doing with them for ages and it seemed really easy to do it against Spurs. I, I just haven't been...
1: seen it before JJ like oh. I I I, I this, I think you'll probably end up being right. It's just that I haven't seen them playing quite so slickly under attack. Yeah,
0: I don't agree. I thought they were good. I know what you mean about the opposition sort of not being there. I just don't think they so. were
1: amazing.
2: I think they were they were good, but they should be because they have good players. I know they had all these players in the right positions for maybe for the first time. I thought Tommy Asu was their best player. I really it. yeah, he's great. Um, he's a really good, and player. he's the kind of character they seem to need. He seems a bit mad. I like that, <laughs> like running about and just look really like focused on the game and like that. I think that's perfect for what they needed. Uh, to help with what they're trying to do. I mean, party back is a, an important player for them. He makes a big difference in how they manage the field.
1: Tommy Yasu, do you remember when he signed, he was mocked on Sky Sports News as well. There was, there was some talking head conversation going on where they were like laughing at the fact that, oh yeah, some guy from, you know, Serie A was like, well, does he deserve that? He's had a pretty good career in Serie A, he's built a name for himself, come in and immediately... Um, defeated that negativity it's not quite the same as the Ramsdale situation but it's another little example of it where you you, you come into you arrive as you know to an un, uh, as an unknown to many English football fans and you already have this sort of negative context surrounding you it's difficult for a player and he's done very very well yeah
2: um, I just think uh, I would go a little easy on proclaiming Arsenal to suddenly be amazing, Arteta's finally got it all right, or everything like that. Oh yeah, no one's doing I'm that. Not, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but, but I've read but it what, online. What,
0: okay. What I'm saying, though, is that um, I haven't seen them play as well as that. Yeah, I agree yet. with that. So not that they were amazing, just that in comparison to the performances I've seen that team put in so far this season, this was very good.
2: I think what often happens is they play against a team who it feels like they work harder than them and are a bit are, are strong defensively. Um, I mean like Brentford mm. were, were better than them when they played them mm-hmm. Brighton
1: up next as well that's really interesting yeah I really want to see that
2: game because that's a really well coached team who uh, can press high if they want or they can drop back and let them come out to them there's a thing that um, Michael Cox wrote a, a piece on uh, Arsenal Spurs in The Athletic mm. and he was pointing out how one of the things Arteta did oh with first quarter, my hat's fallen off oh that's good it's stuck up into the roof
0: uh-huh yeah yeah from earlier yeah. Yeah.
2: And in that hat has fallen uh, magic.
0: Yeah. I and thought you were going to say, in that hat has fallen Michael Cox's words.
2: Yes. That's what I meant. The magic was what mm. Michael Cox wrote. Oh. Yes. Uh, what was I saying? Something about Arteta. Oh, yeah. One of the things Arteta did when he started was that he tried, rather than press high, he would try and like, engage a little bit um, later so the other mm. opposition team would open up a bit so there's room to attack. That's what they did. And then he sort of abandoned it because nothing really worked at the start. And then they went through all the different formations and shapes and systems and and now he's got it, by jove. By helped by Spurs being absolutely rubbish. Like a the think they didn't work hard really. They didn't have any midfield.
0: That <laughs> was really end. weird. We were texting about that, weren't we? Yes. Because for the first thirty minutes, it looked an awful lot like uh Heuberg was part of the defence. And Ndombele was part of the attack. And they were like in a line. Do you remember when we had the football manager, uh, uh, the first football manager st- face off, you and I, and I played with that kind of arrow formation pointing towards my own goal? That was this. <laughs> That's what this looked like. Yeah, it didn't work. It was weird. It was weird. Uh, but the, the thing is, because they were always just like lumping it long from defence. I so presumably they think they don't need a midfield.
2: Maybe. I mean, it was a... They started... I think the game plan was to try and keep things quiet at the start. And try and reduce any chances for Arsenal. Good job. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. It didn't work. But Do you that find that
1: quite strange in itself? Like, you, if if that's your game plan when you go to, oh, I don't know, Anfield or Trafford, yeah. Etihad, okay. But you're Sounds facing like a, he does know. But you're yeah. facing a you're mm-hmm. facing a team that is playing better, but still a little bit fragile because there's still some doubt. As as we've all said, we haven't seen them play like this before. So your game plan in North London derby. Is to go there and see how good they can be. That mm. it just is so counterintuitive. That's, that's what
2: you Neil know, does. He's very reactive as a coach, so he'll he'll often wait. So it, most of Wolves' goals when he was there, he's, it's, I can't remember the number, but it's almost double the amount of goals were scored in the second half to the first. I I,
1: waits, I understand. Like I and I I quite enjoy. I, I know people say a lot of negative things about it. I quite enjoyed watching Wolves at Molineux. They were they were not entertaining, but they were nice sort of pleasing aspects to their football. But it's different. Like at Wolves, you have a, a a group of players who have strengths in certain areas. At Spurs, you have Son, you have Kane, you have Ndombele, you have Ali. And you're playing in a way which kind of takes the emphasis away from all of those players' strengths. Okay, maybe there's a little bit of a counter-attacking emphasis which suits Son. I understand that, but I'm not having Son as a kind of a one-trick counter-attacking player. Like, Son's very complete footballer; You can do things on the front foot, you know, counter-attacking, everything. And yet, it's... It's, it's, a, it's quite stubborn to think, well, this worked for me at Wolves. You know, when I was in the championship and the kind of the, the middle of the Premier League, now I've come to a club which is different in size and, and, and status and has a slightly different kind of uh, personality of squad to it. And I'm going to play in exactly the same way. That's, I, that's I've weird. grown
0: tired of this. Okay. Let's go to a break. <laughs> We're back from the break. And uh, the next up uh, is Man United nil. One Aston Villa now. JJ, there was this was a funny game, um, but the funniest bit was is was it Jonathan Pierce? Was he the commentator? that's a commentator? That's his name. Isn't it? Is the name Pierce? of a commentator. Yes. Jonathan yes. Pierce. He was irate. He was uh, He couldn't believe it when the corner goal happened because there was no there was no man on the post, and he was said he was irate. He was furious. You should, did you hear him? It is. Furious. He hates things that he change from the past. Couldn't believe that there was no man on the post. I rate... Anyway, I rate your ability to explain to us now why that is the case. Because um, uh, it's not like just a completely stupid thing, is it? It's it is for a reason, as with most things that happen in football that are planned. Yeah. It's for a reason. Yeah. And just because something, air quotes, you know, works for 40 years, why should we change it now? He said, why, if it worked for generations, why wouldn't it work now? Well, you know, I, I know. used to wash in a, in a bath of beans.
2: Oh, I thought about it on my horse ride to work this morning. Yes, yeah.
0: that's better, isn't it? <laughs> the beans thing didn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. That didn't happen in the past. I anyway, why happen. don't you have always have uh, someone on the on the post now at corners? Because uh, that's how Aston Villa scored their goal.
2: Yeah, well, they scored because the ball went into the little slot in the left side of the goal where you think a man could be standing there to mm. prevent that from happening. Yeah, Paul Pogba his his zonal job in that set piece was to defend what a lot of teams do and this is what Paul Pogba was doing is they will stand level with the near post but on the six yard line mm. some of them step to maybe take a step behind so they're closer to the goal so they're sort of watching that near post zone because I think the most valuable areas people are most likely to score from is running across the near post to get a header from there yeah. or someone attacking a penalty spot I think it would be the most valuable bits of a corner to get the ball towards mm. so most uh Good teams. In fact, we did this at Euros. We did a video uh, on the internet. And at the Euros, all these um, teams... I think there was one team, maybe Sweden, I think it might have been, that put a man in the posts at any time. Everyone else didn't do it. Yes. I think some of these international managers might have more of an idea about why that's a good idea than the Robot Wars commentator. Mm. Maybe. Mm. As good a commentator as he is. And I like his voice. Does he
0: commentate Robot Wars? Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was... um it's Chaos 2! Oh, that here was, comes uh, Megatron
1: uh, to stamp on the metallic centipede. If it
0: like, allows Robot you to stand on things, calls. that would be not good. Craig Charles. Yes. Yeah, 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 I thought yeah, that was good. Craig Charles. Yeah, he hosted he, it. He presented. The, oh he hosted it. Jonathan. Yeah, Pierce. Oh you're right, he was the commentator on um, Takeshi's Castle, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah.
2: And Jonathan Pierce was amazing at Robot Wars. I he made it that. really good.
1: Now now you say it. Yeah. I can yeah.
0: Zelda coming robots. in with the claw. I I I, yeah,
1: I, I always I think about the uh, the Phoenix Knight sketch for Robot Wars with like Ray Vaughan and and Max and Paddy and uh, the you <laughs> know. Look it up. Yeah. A little insight there. Chaos Two is my favorite. Chaos, do you have a favourite robot from Robot Wars?
2: Yeah, yeah, Chaos Two. I also liked one I feel called like
1: that Razor. That you as a particular type of person. What
0: well, was the What was the flipper? The one that flips. Well, Chaos Two. There was a yeah. few of them. There was a few of them. They one that like really a wedge good, though, of
2: cheese was quite good for a while.
0: But I think the, the meta. Was but that set show early must have been scripted because like, no. the other ones had like hammers that would come down and mm. hit the top of a robot, and like clearly they were never going to do any enough damage. Yeah, also, Whereas another one you could get underneath and flip it upside down. And you win, the, you win the war immediately.
2: I but some of them, like Razor, had was like built like a scorpion, so it had this big tail that would crush. And, that oh, was, yeah. and when that worked, it was really good. That was good. There yeah. was a couple of kind of joke robots. There was one; this Irish team went in and it had all like fur. So when it got set on fire, it was, <laughs> it was. And I never really understood what the point of that was. Fun. I, I, well, I like yeah. the ones
1: where we're like it doesn't work. So people have been slaving away for two and a half years because they going on robot wars and like. And somebody's forgot to put battery in the remote, so it just sits there limply while while something else just you know hands away That's quite it? funny. It's that something they great. spent
2: months on working with their yeah, 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 children, yeah. and something comes along.
1: And, and, and actually, they're not working the children; they're kind of the children are told to sit in the corner of the garage while they work on it. And it's yeah. you know, mm, you and get then, more
0: insights from Seb's life. Now and made a change from being <laughs> flippers to being
2: uh, to spinning disc hypno disc. <laughs>
0: yeah, hypno disc. Yeah. yeah,
2: and I just like hypno disc. Uh, uh, Robot Wars. In this set-piece routine, I don't know. So yeah. what, they, what, what footballers do at corners now is they stand in the six-yard line, level of the near post. If the ball goes over that near post zone, uh, they then fall back. So they're effectively the far post man on the post. That's what they do. Yeah. And the yeah. reason that they do this, rather than having a, having two full-backs on the line, as Jonathan Pierre suggested they should do, is because you've got a choice of between trying to block the final action or preventing that action from happening in the first place.
0: That's the better one.
2: I think that's the best one. That's yeah. what I would do and that's why you see a mixture of zonal and man for most teams. That's
0: why people brush their teeth, you know? So well, they, they don't have to have teeth taken out.
2: Yes, that's why they brush their teeth.
0: Well anyway, um, Fernandez missed a penalty, Seb, and he'll <laughs> never
1: take one again, will he? quite a lot of commentary on his apology essay. It's got a strange facet. is weird. But it, I think it's quite understandable. I don't think it's really about modern players. It's about modern fans' inability to accept that occasionally things in football matches don't happen in the way that they want them to. And it's a way for a player or a player's representative to to kind of to head that.
0: Can we What's, just think that through for a minute though? Because A, kay. anyone reading that isn't going to be probably the kind of person that would be furious at him for not doing it. And B... The kind of person who would be furious at him for it is not the kind of person who will then go, oh, but he apologised, no, so it's fine. No, I, I, I disagree, Joe. It's fine.
1: I think... I think, I think Am I missing th- a whole kind well, of I, person? I think so. So I, it happened twice last week, actually. Marvelous uh, Nakamba did something very similar after he missed in the shootout at Stanford Bridge for Villa in the League Cup. And I feel like it's aimed at the type of fan that kind of lives through the social media cycle that is very susceptible to the tiny little things which kind of dictate their mood, be it a missed penalty or slightly underwhelming performance or um, a you know nice looking holiday photo from a player they are like. I think it's actually it's smart is the wrong word, but I think it's more um, astute than it looks. savvy. Savvy is the right word. Yeah, I feel like there's a there's an agent out there who said, "Guys, this is this is our game plan when these little things happen," because it it's like okay, well, you know, to someone. Bruno missed a penalty, but Bruno cares. Bruno really cares. He wants to know whether I... Like, it's aimed at a slightly naive... Who are these people? Children. <laughs> right. Children. Yeah, I think it's aimed at a younger type of fan. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, I, I think it's very sad that we've arrived at this point, that you have to then... Because it, it, this is how it works. So like in once,
0: fact, can I say, actually, on a serious note... Um, Pe- players never used to do this, right? Of and if it works for generations, why change it now? Do well,
2: you know it, who never apologised? Hypnodisc. Hypnodisc. Well,
1: you know what's you know what's actually going to be bad about this is that is the reverse. So, the first player that misses a penalty in that situation and doesn't write the apology essay, mm. it's going to get hammered, mm. absolutely hammered. Doesn't care. I'll praise that player. Earn? You know, so it's um, it's complicated, but uh, it's sure, it's yeah, quite weird. Also, um, what do we make of? Oliganer uh comments. We talked about what Bruno being well, so penalty gets awarded, and he <laughs> he was upset because uh-huh? Bruno had his space crowded by Villa players. While he oh yeah, penalty. and then he said, oh, then he, I wasn't
0: going to bring it up, but you did." So he's, oh, got, he's oh, got this. Has got
1: to stop. Speak to you. it's got. Oh, to he's stop. just
2: doing the Fergie template of but blaming he, things and disliking. If, if you
1: look at if you look at um, Alex Ferguson's coaching tree of managers there's an awful lot of players on there an a- awful lot of ex-players on there who became coaches who did a lot of excuses who made a lot of excuses who spent a lot of time talking about officials and it feels as if none of them really recognised that what allowed Ferguson to do that was coaching tree
0: this is my coaching tree for the that's viewers at home tree. it's tended to
2: do you think you could beat hypnodesk
0: well, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like if it was you against it in the ring I think so.
0: What do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would say about Hypnodisc?
2: I think he would deflect <laughs> the uh Tomsley.
0: you'd bit like Hypnodisc. Yeah. I'm with you, man. Uh, but I didn't really listen to what you were saying. Let me ask you this question though. <laughs> um, one quick one quick note here on uh, uh, on Manchester United before we talk a little bit about Aston Villa. Ronaldo and Greenwood in this game. They sort of seem to get in each other's way a little bit, um, and uh, I didn't think they were. I didn't think it was that good. And what I would like to say though is I thought um, it was quite nice to see Greenwood uh, just shooting anyway, and uh, he seems to be the only player on the team that doesn't immediately pass the ball to Cristiano Ronaldo, JJ. And I like it. Uh, I've not
2: noticed this. I think they were It's prob- probably because it's not real. I'm just thinking no. it, so I'm saying it. Out loud. And they were mostly trying to break against Villa, who were really good in that game, and. They were just trying to get. I mean, I think Villa defended a couple of those. Can well, you, did you tell me quickly. what Villa
0: did well then instead?
2: Uh, they defended well. They attacked well. Yeah, they changed their shape. And they had like a three-five-two. I think they changed it too. Um, so they had Watkins and who's the other chap up front? Oh, Ings. Ings. Yes. It's a good two. And then we, we knew Dean Smith was going to try and do this this season. Something he wanted to try and do is play a front two, which you can mostly do by getting the back three in, maybe with. Just like Chelsea play, basically. Mm. And it tends to be that the, the weaker side, if you will, uh, would do this because it means they've got more defensive solidity. They can block the middle of the pitch. Sure. And you know what? United are really good in transition normally, getting better at being able to break down teams.
0: Uh, can I? I know we were in work on Saturday because we were watching the uh, Chelsea uh, Manchester City game, which took place at the same time, but I was sat next to. Uh, uh, Athletic uh, News Desk team member, uh, Holly Percival, who was half watching the Aston Villa United game as a Villa fan and half working. And uh, the judging on the, based on the noises that she made throughout the game, Villa had a, a great number of chances that they could have uh, they could have finished but didn't. So the scoreline could have been uh, worse than it was, Seb.
1: Yeah, it felt a little bit like the game Villa played at, at Chelsea where mm. they played really, really w- well and then lost 3-0. Yeah. And it's kind of... It was, it was kind of necessary because the knock on Villa then is, well, you know, you can play well at a ground like that, but you can't win. So for so quickly afterwards to go to a ground again, play really, really well. And I imagine uh, Holly, as well as every other Villa fan watching, was just waiting for the kind of the, um, well, the penalty or the, um, the kick in the teeth or the sort of the, the repeat of what happened. You go and do that and you go and win the game and you go and have a little bit of luck at the end with a missed penalty. And all of a sudden, your season can change a little bit, and your perception of yourself can change a little bit. And, um, and Villa are an interesting team. And I like when something like this happens when you win away from home at Old Trafford um, against a team full of the kind of players that Solskjaer has. That's very very powerful. Mm. You you'd think so, wouldn't you? Be kind of thing where it emboldens you next time you step out of the Etihad. You think, well, yeah, but we're not just here for the day out on the Instagram. Like we 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 can actually beat this caliber of team, and we shouldn't be afraid of a kind of a Ronaldo level of player. Um, our defense can stand up to those, those, those sorts, and that's um, it's great because I, I think Dean Smith done an amazing job at Villa. Actually, sure.
0: it's really, really, really impressive. Got eighth place right now, ten points after six games. It's been a, it's been a, a pretty good start for a team that lost their best player, mm-hmm. um, and it's been exciting to see some of those uh, some of the new additions uh, warm into the side. They've got a bit of a tough run in October, though. Uh, they're away to Tottenham, Wolves at home, uh, away to Arsenal. West Ham at home not the easiest run but it'll be interesting to watch them in those games you would have thought they can get some
1: points out of those yeah well I'd I expect them to win at Tottenham um, well sure that goes without saying it goes without saying yeah. um, also um, not quite sure at the moment how serious Leon Bailey's injury is but they he gives them a different gear like even he's had cameos so far and that he sort of I think he had um, like 21 really good minutes against Everton but all of a sudden you see a kind of a dynamism to Villa yeah, which, is, which totally. any any team in the country needs to be afraid of um, and so I think the knock on them last season was they could play quite well, but they didn't really have much of a punch. Grealish could do something. Watkins is a pretty good goal scorer. Now you've got a few more match winners. So if Danny Ings has a bad day, then there is a a, a Bailey to do something. Um, it's not all centered around Grealish. And your answer when playing Villa is not, right, take away Grealish and you don't have to worry so much. Make somebody else beat you. All of a sudden you have to do that for three or four other players. So it's it's fun and and the league is better for teams like Villa when you have someone's up mobile and ambitious and adding kind of new strings to their bow they become one of those teams that you want to watch it's not just a kind of ah oh, well uh, Villa are playing this or that you think yeah I want to watch Villa that's interesting let's see let's see how they grow this week I, I want to watch Villa yeah me too yeah
0: um also I want to watch Brentford yeah Brentford 3 3 Liverpool JJ best game of the weekend yeah, lots of goals in it. Mm. Very exciting
2: end-to-end. Could have been even more goals.
0: Could have been even more goals. You've heard it there. Now, tell me a little bit about Brentford. I know we've covered them a bit on this podcast before, um, but Seb, I really want to know what you think about them as a team. Brentford? Yeah. Interesting. I just turned to you. <laughs> JJ's face made it look like I should not ask him that question. Well, so, I... No, I, I, halfway through, I turned to you. You're our I last think... hope here.
1: I think, think Alex is outside, we could ask him to come in, he likes like, them, doesn't he? I think, I think what I like about them, Alex, is that they haven't, sometimes when a team gets promoted, they abandon a lot of the things that they did well at their at lower level.
0: That's a good point, isn't so that you, a good point?
1: You kind of, it's almost like, oh well, you know, we have to pretend to be something else, we're a Premier League team now. They play in the same way, they rely on a lot of the same things, their set pieces still clearly have a lot of coaching and training emphasis. Um, I think I have mentioned this last week, but I think, The thing I've taken away is probably the subtlety to Ivan Toney's game. Because I thought of him as someone who would probably fit into the David Nugent category a little bit when he came into the Premier League. Um, He would sort of be shown for what he was and um, that couldn't be more wrong. He's a really multifaceted forward, does a lot of things really nicely. He's so good. But he... A lot of stuff goes through him. He's not just the mm. exclamation point at the end of moves. He is a starting point too. And that's been that's something I really didn't expect to see.
0: The whole whenever I watch them, the whole team just seems sort of more intelligent, faster and stronger than every other team. I know that's not actually true, but there's something about the way that they play that makes me makes me feel that way.
1: Well, it might it might be a little bit to do with then you. So every time you watch them you're you're kind of learning and, mm. and but I, I I still think I would agree. Like I I think some of that is new division enthusiasm. And so I'd be interested, not knocking what they've achieved so far, I think they've, they've been great, but I'd be interested to see how, what kind of tone of performance they're giving in November and December. Well, indeed, they are, they are this year's leads, right? Yeah, let's see where they are. I mean, I hopefully, um, again, be proved wrong, they keep proving us wrong You know, um, well. month after month. But I, um, yeah, they've been fun, haven't they? They've been Lights different. they have been
2: direct, they're very vertical. That's kind of what works for them. Mm. And because you have players like Tony and Mbwemo who can link up with each other, it works quite well. You saw like one of the goals, I think, was it a goal? I can't remember if it was, but Liverpool, you know they're going to play a high line and push up. So the ball went back to the keeper who just knocked it like straight up over the top and they were in behind.
1: Smart. Yeah, smart. There's it's so obviously yeah. Like It's oddly satisfying to see something happen in a game where you think, yeah, that's just analysis. Someone's been watching what you should do there, because it's actually amazing how rarely that seems to happen at other clubs. The
2: other thing they were doing in this game as well is um, something that I think noticed Aston Villa doing last season. And, uh, Dean Smith said that they noticed with Liverpool because they they defend and that they get into their their deep block when they're being pushed right back, and you see everyone come back. Even Salah comes back to help out in uh, in this deep block, and so uh, the space is either side of that block. So they just keep switching it around. Remember when Villa did them like eight-two or something, whatever they came out to score yeah. It was just for them switch and play all the time. So a free a free kick. So the one of the free kicks they scored was a a lovely little move where it was a short pass inside to then go out to a run which started to be just in line with the, the back line on the on the wide, on the wide, on the wing, and then that ball went in from there because they'd then earned the space because that was the way they'd worked it. It's really clever and it's to do with like pulling Liverpool one side, leaving the space on the other side. Um, I think Matchday did analysis of it as well and pointed out how they constantly overloaded the far side with maybe three or four players always in that far
0: post. All on Trent as well, mostly.
1: Yeah, because then, yeah. Which was the goal where he was left with a three-on-one? That was the, the second goal? That was the second goal, I yeah. Think but it was, the, I
0: think the point is that that happens several times yeah, throughout yeah, the game, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's and Very, and that's, cl- that's very
2: clever. It. And then and it's, it's overloading that side, but it's also about shifting the ball constantly around, so you always have that. And that's the, it's obviously been a lot of, they've done a lot of analysis before that game to play in that certain way, and it's worked, so it looks like it's, The guys
0: a genius now. Mm. Well, Um, my favourite thing about uh, the game, and indeed the weekend, was the little look that Thomas Frank and Jurgen Klopp shared. Uh, At 3-3, there was a chance, I can't remember uh, which team nearly scored a fourth, but one of them did, and they shared a little "Mm," face, and I thought, oh, that was nice. A little little moment of uh, human interaction uh, with a face there. A face that you wouldn't normally see, you know, a a facial expression that you wouldn't normally. Chelsea nil, one Manchester City, um, now, JJ, the first question, we made a video about this at the weekend, but would you, would you reprise to me uh, briefly uh, how Guardiola managed to get City to unlock Chelsea? Because they are a notoriously tough defence to break down. They and kept they did them, it
2: here. They kept them pinned in. So they didn't let them, it's not so much they unlocked them, it just overwhelmed them, they outnumbered right. them, they pressured with a high, like four them. or five people. Yeah, they squashed them like a bug. And uh, they did that from the start. Look, uh, very aggressive, determined, like, clearly highly organised press. So it wasn't—I don't think it was man-to-man, but it was just everyone was squeezing up to try and get to stop Chelsea being able to play out. Mm. And when they can't play out, they've got to play it long. And then you've got Werner, who's getting useful, goes over the top, but City then just retreated a couple of yards and cleared that up easily. And Lukaku, whose link-up play wasn't amazing, he got better later on in the game. I think actually started to hold up himself a bit better and be able to rule defenders. But uh, that was their out—was those two forwards who just couldn't get into the game whatsoever. Changed the shape in the second half. took Conte off and took on uh, Kai Havertz who scored the goal in the Champions League final and then Havertz meant they had a front three which means they could press in a different way and they were suddenly able to get out and Havertz was helping link that play there Why didn't they start like that? Because I think the new City would play a high line so you've got Werner and Lukaku who are both rapid
0: Right. Um, they the, thought that they could exploit that, and I, when it didn't work, that's when they changed. I think that's what the plan was, yeah. And okay. you had
2: Conte and Kovacic, either side of Jorginho, who were helping with a to press with a forward four, because you knew City were going to play with either a four or a three at the back. Mm-hmm. So then you've got numbers that would be able to work with that. But because they're not the same line as the strikers, like Kovacic, for example, on the left, um, not the same line as the two forwards, it means it's slightly different the way the press works. So again, they couldn't do what they wanted to do. But it was... Not a million miles off what they did in the Champions League final, it just seems probably easier because it's less pressure because it's not the biggest game of the year and it worked this time.
0: Okay. Seb, uh, City obviously beat Chelsea doing this but Tottenham and Villa both tried something not dissimilar in uh, Chelsea's previous two games. Should Tuchel be concerned at all that uh, maybe teams have cottoned on how to
1: play against them now? No, I think a bit too early to say that. Like I I feel like I agree with JJ, like that was clearly the plan, I felt like uh, Tuchel tinkered a little bit too much there, like I'm not sure, the Werner thing I don't get, and this was a, a conversation on German Sky, um, about sort of Werner instead of Havertz, because Havertz, Havertz does so many things really well, um, he's, a, he's a problem in so many different ways, like he uh, he's a big guy, he's good in the air, he's a goal threat, he's skillful, he's creative, he moves well between the lines, like Werner to me is much more one-dimensional, and so if I wanted to occupy city defenders and defensive midfielders, Harvards is my guy.
0: Harvitz is also faster.
1: I don't know about that.
0: No, I mean his top speed is recorded as faster. Okay, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure or at least he was the fastest player in the Bundesliga the season. He left. Okay, I but mean then, sometimes uh, though. wasn't there, was he?
1: I remember, I remember Antonio Valencia once being the quickest player in the Premier League a couple of years ago, which surprised well, it's, me. I don't it's quite the space trust ahead it. of them, isn't it? Yeah. But so, um, when,
0: it, when it's a striker, you know that they anyway. anywhere also,
1: I also think Harvest is just a better player. Sure. A much better player, sure. a much more complete player. And if I was a City player that turned up at Stamford Bridge and I saw him not in the team, that would make me happy. Mm. Um, mm. So mm. I get it. I just think that it's not time for Chelsea to worry. It's just one of those things where maybe, an instance where maybe Thomas Tuchel had too many options, too many attacking options at least, and sort of outthought thought himself a little bit.
0: JJ, Grealish has really started to settle in now at Manchester City, hasn't he? Although one thing I will say, he doesn't look good in that shirt colour. <laughs> I really don't think he looks right in it. Not, not as in he's not a good, he shouldn't play for Manchester City. There's just something about him and the colour of the shirt. I just don't like it. I'm sorry you don't like it. Uh, yeah, well, thank you.
2: Um, fine. So yes, that's that's done now.
0: Mm, that's done. Uh
2: Grealish, I thought he settled in immediately at City. He's Did you? Yeah, I thought he was decent, yeah. Okay. Um, I, see, I think he's probably got better as he's learned who his friends are in the team and all the different bits of the structure he's supposed to
0: do. Settling in.
2: Uh, I think it's weird how he doesn't, I can't tell if he's that fast or not, but it seems. That no one seems to be able to tackle him. Yeah. It's odd.
0: He's he's gluey.
2: Yeah, it, it's weird. Um. It, yeah. So he, I think he's done really well. He's created a lot of chances for them, like goal-creating actions, a lot of that stuff going on with Grealish. He's a very good player and he's really expensive. Sure. And so, regardless of how he looks in the shirt, I think he's done well.
0: Well, Seb, it feels a lot like uh, this is a good Premier League season, right? The title race is quite unclear six games in. I feel like we've had, I feel like half the seasons in the last 10 years have not been decided after six games, but it's been at least very clear if it's a one horse race or if it's a two horse race. I feel like we have a sort of three horse race here, maybe a four horse race.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, Because one thing we
0: didn't say about Liverpool when we were talking about them is that they finished the weekend top of the league. They haven't sort of startled or amazed as of yet, but they're very clearly in the race as as a
1: horse. Very much so. They are a horse in the race. Yes, They have left the the stalls and they are racing. What what I would also (laughs) say is good Premier League season because there are lots of interesting subplots. So um, beyond the title, which is what it is, um, there are lots of teams that I want to watch we talked about Villa earlier but mm. um, Brighton are going to Palace tonight We're recording this on Monday looking forward to that because I'm really enjoying watching Brighton West Ham are an interesting watch sure. still a little bit of a riddle don't sure. something slightly off with West Ham they beat um, Leeds uh, 2-1 of they, course they did I there's, the there's still there's, there's a settling in there's a, still a, a few issues in the defense which I'm sure will improve mm. once Kurt Zuma settles in there um, Everton doing weirdly well Everton are like defeating their own narr- narrative
0: They're fifth right now on 13 points One point behind Liverpool uh, Matched with City, Chelsea and United uh, Who are the other three mm-hmm. of the new big
1: four Feels very fresh, doesn't it? It feels like a lot of there's a little bit of something for everybody
0: I feel refreshed You do, that's good Yeah, okay Well, fine Fine, that was most of the things we wanted to talk about Of course, Everton uh, beat Norwich 2-0 At the weekend, Leicester and Burnley with a draw as well. We haven't really got time to talk about those. When will Norwich win a game? Goodness gracious me. I hope it's soon. Uh, But it probably won't be, you know, because they're not very good. But now let's talk about some other things which may or may not be very good. I don't know if they are or not. But you might know. Uh, Video games. Mm. Go. The new Pro Evo is out soon.
2: E-football. Correct. Yeah. Also, the new FIFA
0: my FIFA. Prof- yeah,
2: you've, you've heard of that one
0: before. I've heard of, I've heard of both of them. No, that's good. Yeah. Now,
2: uh, Seb and I were discussing this earlier, that football games aren't very fun anymore, and
1: I don't know if these are going to be fun at all. See, I'm in a weird position, because when I return to Germany, I've got some annual leave booked in, and in previous years, uh, maybe quite a long time ago now, having two weeks off, when the new ProEvo launches is pretty ideal in terms of work planning and, you know, pushing out your holidays. And now I think, ah, it might not bother.
0: Is that because Jalen's busy playing it and she leaves you alone to read your old books? No,
1: Jalen's um, in, more into Red Dead Redemption. We've had a, you know, Tomb Raider as well and Uncharted. She's a masochist. You know. um, yeah, no, she... she <laughs> <laughs> but I... It's just not fun. Like, I, I don't find FIFA fun. Exactly. I, I, I find it, like... I like realism. I like constructing things in a kind of master leaguey way. I like that, but um, I, FIFA is just—it's—it there's—it just feels very much not for me, and I have no enthusiasm for it. When you when you look online, you know all the sort of the, the skills videos and the kind of the sort um, of sort of cinematic goals that score—it uh, just doesn't capture me. I don't um, know um, why can't it be games? fun? Why can't? Why yeah. cannot it? Why what can is it, this segment? This segment know. is
0: old men. But railing against must... something which literally isn't for them. But then, it's not but made then, for you. Yeah,
1: but but why? Why can't a small aspect of it? Why? Why is it inaccessible? There's plenty of like expensive young people things <laughs> that I find fun. Like what? I like, I liked Call of Duty. I'm not very good at it. Well, that was just it's not Warzone scares me, mm. but. We've talked about that sure in other times, <laughs> but it's it's why can't it be? Computer games are so impressive in so many ways. There are so many amazing things happening. Mm. Why can you not make? Yes, yeah, spoken, spoken as a
0: true person who lacks the understanding of how how yeah, but, they're made.
1: Yeah, but why why is it so difficult? Like 25 years ago, you were able to make fun football games. Sensible World of Soccer, excellent game. Original ISS, excellent game. Pro Evolution Soccer on the PlayStation One, excellent game. What do you Why think about
0: it? music now? <laughs> what do you think about anything from now?
1: I like some aspects of modern yeah, life. This
0: is but the issue. What Seb hasn't realized is that the uh, the world, the consumers, you know, are marketed towards for teenagers. That's you know because they've got they've got yeah, but are, are, are these are these teenagers? You know? hmm? Everywhere I huh? look,
1: I see criticism of these games. Like you don't see sort of unanimous praise from do sort you? of. You know the 15 to 25 year old demographic Do you? you you just see complaints like new madden game was released everyone hated it like the new anything but it, it's a fair criticism it's not just an old man shouting i think it's a, a little lot of people bit play like these games now because they're supposed to and they're kind of hooked well, there's, there's in, no, there, there's the no there. competition
0: there's nothing else you play one of them if you like football and you like video games you probably play one of them Mm. Well, why can't but they used expect- to be fun. Yeah,
1: exactly. Did they? Or yeah. did you used to have fun? No, they were good. I think they it's were addictive. About, mm.
2: They were addictive like in a good way. And now they're addictive in a, a way I don't like.
1: You know what you know what I found strange? <laughs> the the football thing. So I was on my Provo over the weekend. Ish. And there's a, a new window which allows you to pre order an aspect of it for twenty nine pounds. <laughs> That's a new window. <laughs> like it's just it's just it's just it's just popped up. Like with with, with you know where where it gives you your it gives you your your um your 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 benefits your like oh here's my old player from Bayern Munich here's you know you collect Oliver Kahn okay and now on this
0: window on this on this this,
1: hush now on this free to free to play game on this free to play game I have now got the option to spend 29 pounds on what? It just go to it. Anyway, anyone who's got the game, go to it. You'll find it. It's just, it's sort of, spend £29 for this game, which has not been released and is for free and doesn't have any features, but spend some money. And it also says it's a loyalty bonus for me. What? But then you get to
2: play what do get Ronaldinho to continue? if you're lucky.
1: And I looked it up and I didn't really understand what it was, even after reading the description, but people said, oh yeah, this is for a feature that's released in November.
0: Like, well, I mean, when you book a holiday... Do you buy it on the day when you arrive at the airport, no. or do you buy it ahead of time?
1: But it's a free-to-play game. When you pay when I book or a holiday, do you pay?
0: You pay ahead because you know you're going to use that. What? No, <laughs> Just make probably
1: before again. That's all we need to see. Just make that again. When I book my holiday, I, in return for my money, <laughs> oh, I get God. a flight, a stay, a different environment, what? perhaps I, some sun, sometimes
0: guy, even a beach. This guy's always booking with the Thomas Cook. Or one of those other ones. This
1: is a, there's no holiday. It is charging me for the opportunity to go to my living room or something. I don't know. It's a, it's a, an illusory product.
0: This, <laughs> I promise to the, um to the younger people listening, it's not all like this. Yeah. It's not
1: just getting old older is terrible. It's, it's <laughs> coming it's for you. Not, you cannot escape it's it. Not. You can, you can, you can be young and cool now, but give it five years. Yeah.
0: 40-year-old man you know, thinks everything's supposed to be better. You know, the get end.
1: fatter, you can't just, you know, <laughs> you can't just eat what you want all the time. You lose your hair. The the hair that doesn't fall out goes gray. It's coming for you. It's old age, and it's horrible. And you enjoy stuff less. Your favorite things that you enjoyed become rubbish. That's how life is. Yeah. Look forward to it.
0: <laughs> anyway, that's the end of the Tifo Football Podcast. Uh, maybe, awful. F- maybe for a long time. <laughs> no, we'll be back next week. Um, don't worry, Seb will have left the country again, <laughs> so you won't have to. You won't have to be affronted with this horror. Thank you to Seb Stapleblow. Thank you, Joe Devine, and thank you to JJ Bull. Thank you. The Bullard. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, thanks, of course, as usual, to uh, Don Marr over there in the corner. And uh, to Adonis uh, uh, for all of the uh, audio editing and production assistance that we get. Uh, and to you, dear listener and all viewer, for being with us for this time. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about whatever the hell has happened then. And uh, in the meantime, hope you have a lovely week. ta